And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that Paul and Carrie Meir are part of this church, and uh, they've been friends forever. And I'm also pleased to have with me Susan Perlman, who is the, uh, my first assistant, and uh, she's part of Jews for Jesus. In fact, Susan Perlman uh, is one of the founders of Jews for Jesus. And uh, so we started here in the Bay Area back in 1973, and she's been a part of the ministry all that time. Now, actually, if you go to our headquarters, which is on Haight Street near Market, there's a little plaque on the cornerstone that says, Jews for Jesus established 32 AD, give or take a year. (laughs) And so we really have been around as uh, people. Uh, Jewish believers in Jesus, people say it sounds like, you know, contradiction Jews for Jesus, like vegetarians for meat or something, you know. But of course, you know that the first Jews for Jesus were Peter, James, and John, right? And uh, all the writers of the New Testament, with the possible exception of Luke, were Jewish. And Luke was a doctor, so who knows, you know. (laughs) Back in the beginning, believing in Jesus was a very Jewish thing to do, but thankfully, It was God's intention all along through Christ to break down the middle wall of partition, dividing Jews and Gentiles and making us one together in the body of Christ. So we are one in him. Amen? Amen. And I'm privileged to be able to share with you today about a message that's been burning in my heart for a long, long time. And it is about something that has been going on in the world that some of you may be aware of, but perhaps uh, only coincidentally. And that is that God is at work in the city of Jerusalem in a way that uh, I think indicates uh, something of his move in the world today. So this message I've entitled for Zion's sake. Zion, as you may know, is the biblical term that God uses in the scripture about Jerusalem. And uh, perhaps you heard that uh, in May of this year, uh, Israel celebrated its 70th anniversary, the 70th anniversary of the modern state of Israel. And our United States government chose that month to move our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And it was an amazing experience because I was there along with 70 other Jews for Jesus staff and volunteers. And we were there during that month to share the gospel. And I want to tell you about that, but I want to put it in the context of God's purpose for this place. Because Zion is a term that is often associated with politics and sometimes not very favorably. But it is something that is very biblical, and that's what I want us to... What's the significance of Zion, Jerusalem? Where does it fit in God's plan? Remember, this is the very place where God commanded Abraham to take his son Isaac and offer him up upon the altar. That place, which is now known as the Temple Mount... This is the place where God chose his name to dwell. He said, there I will meet with you. There I will hear your prayers. There I will forgive your sin. This is the place that David was inspired to build that temple, and ultimately Solomon built it. This is the place 
where the prophets ministered. This is the place where Jesus walked and taught and healed and died and rose again. (laughs) And this is the place where he's coming back, I believe, very soon. How many of you have been to Jerusalem before? It's an amazing place. I'll never forget the first time I went. I was leading the music group from Jews for Jesus called the Liberated Wailing Wall. (laughs) We sang Jewish gospel music, which is kind of a cross between Israeli folk and Fiddler on the Roof. It's great stuff. (laughs) But we were going to Jerusalem to minister and to sing and actually went right out on the streets on a place called Ben Yehuda Street, which is a pedestrian mall. It's a very touristy area. And we were in front of the Hamash Beer, which is kind of like the Macy's department store of Israel. And uh, we were singing. And uh, we had t-shirts on that said, Yehudim Laman Yeshua, Jews for Jesus in Hebrew. So the Israelis knew who we were. But the amazing thing was there was a crowd of people that were gathered. Most Israelis are actually fairly secular. And so this was a mostly secular group of Israelis, and they were enjoying the music. They were clapping their hands. There was a little group off to the side doing some Israeli folk dancing. And I'm thinking, man, this is great. Here we are. We're preaching the gospel right out on the streets of Jerusalem. And then there were these five yeshiva bukhers. That's the young ultra-Orthodox seminary students. Maybe you've seen the pictures with the black hats and the coats and the side curls. And they were walking towards us with a look of grim determination on their faces. And I thought, oh boy, we're in trouble. And sure enough, these guys got right up in front of us and they started screaming and, and yelling. And then one of the guys reached out to grab the bow out of the hand of the violinist. And I'm thinking, now we're going to get martyred on the streets of Jerusalem. And right at that point, up walked this giant of an Israeli guy. He was about six foot four, 250 pounds, bald with a big handlebar mustache. He kind of looked like Jesse Ventura, you know? And he got up in these guys' faces and he says to them, you touch them and I'll touch you. (laughs) And they backed off and, you know, we were able to continue singing and I thought to myself, man, the Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. I just never knew he looked like Jesse Ventura. (laughs) But that kind of illustrates the tension and the conflict and the difficulty of Jerusalem and what we knew we were facing when we were going to Jerusalem. It is a place that has been a center of conflict. I mean, 70 years, it's a pretty interesting number if you think about it. You know, Moses appointed 70 elders uh, in Israel. Uh, Israel went into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. In Daniel 9, the prediction concerning the coming of the Messiah says that there's going to be 77, 70 periods of seven years that will be a countdown, if you will, of the coming of Messiah. Jesus raised up 70 disciples, right, and sent them out. And so going into Jerusalem on the 70th anniversary of the modern state of Israel, we were kind of realizing there's some significance. And we were praying a lot, knowing that, you know, we were going to be in for a challenge as well. And we were compelled by the words of Isaiah, 
and Isaiah chapter 62. And I'd like to read that, and the words will be on the screen if you care to follow along. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored, but those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the people's Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. What a powerful, hopeful word this is from the prophet concerning this place that had become a byword among the peoples and now even today <laughs> is a place of great controversy and conflict. And so this promise concerning the future kind of motivated us to be a part of God's solution to the present crisis, Zion. It's actually mentioned 150 times in Scripture. Uh, it's a byword in the United Nations nowadays. Zionism is equated with racism in some official uh, United Nations documents, but it's God's word to refer to a place that really is part, is part and parcel of his purposes, not just for the Jewish people, not just for the Palestinians, but for all people. And that's the hopeful message that Isaiah is talking about. Linguists argue about what the actual Hebrew word Sion means. It could mean dry, because it's pretty dry there. It could also mean brook, because <laughs> there is a brook called the Kidron. 
outside that kind of goes along the outside of the, of the wall. And uh, actually, Hezekiah brought that water into the city of Jerusalem. And if you were to go and visit, you'd see one of the miracles, one of the wonders of technology from way back then, because he dug with his men a wall through a, a tunnel through solid rock to bring the water in. And it flows into the pool of Siloam. Sound familiar, huh? Where Jesus performed miracles. And it's still there today. If you haven't been, you need to go. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a place that means many different things. It could even mean stronghold, because that's what it was called as well. The stronghold of David, because David made it his capital. And it is right, I think, <laughs> that the United States recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, because it is. It's where the seat of government is. It's where the Supreme Court is, where the Parliament, the Knesset, meet. But it's also a place of controversy. There have been over 30 different wars fought over Jerusalem, more than any other territory on the planet. And why? Simply because God placed his name there, and he promises that it will be an emblem. In fact, Zion is a picture of the grace of God. The grace that we all enjoy through faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jerusalem has been, for her own failures, punished. And it's not because of who the people of Jerusalem are that God promises this wonderful, hopeful message that Isaiah gave. It's because of God's grace because of his love for people, that he gives this hopefulness. And we can all see that for ourselves as well. Anyone who's here today who knows the Lord and knows that your sin is forgiven and you've experienced that grace of God, you know it's not because of anything that you've done. It's not because of anything that I've done. It's because of God's goodness. And it's because of his love for us and his desire to see us prosper and flourish in the life that he has given to us. And that's God's intention for this place, for Jerusalem. Some of the amazing metaphors that are in this passage, we're not going to take the time to go through it verse by verse, but I mean, married. You know, what a, what a picture of God's rejoicing over this place and his commitment to it. It's like a bridegroom with his bride. I mean, if you go to a wedding and you, you know, you know, that's the greatest pinnacle of the moment of love and togetherness. And, and that, that's the language that Isaiah is using here to speak of God's intention for this place and for the people. Right now, Jerusalem is a city divided. If you go to the old city, they have a, a Jewish quarter they have an Arab quarter, they have an Armenian quarter, and a Christian quarter. And if you were to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, there's all these different groups that are fighting for who's going to have control over that holy place. It's a place of conflict, and yet this picture that Isaiah had has been fulfilled in part, but not fully. He says that there's, a, there's going to be a day when 
Isaiah 11, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. That passage is talking about salvation. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, Yeshua T. <laughs> That's the name of Jesus. Your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Now that part has not yet been fulfilled. In fact, Zechariah has a parallel passage that has been fulfilled. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So you see, when Zechariah is talking about rejoice, O daughter of Zion, he's talking about the first coming. And Isaiah is writing about it. He's talking about the second coming. His judgment is coming with him. So there's the now and the not yet of saying to the daughter of Zion, your Yeshua, your salvation, your Jesus is coming. He's come. <laughs> and because of that, we as a ministry wanted to bring those words to Zion. And we wanted to be watchmen on the wall, as, as Isaiah says. He, sa he starts off by saying, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And then he says later on in verse 6, God is appointing watchmen for the wall who will not keep silent either. And they won't give, take any rest. In fact, they won't even give the Lord rest. Have you ever thought about that? That in our prayers, in our petitions, we're supposed to bother God. Jesus gave a parable about that, didn't he? It's like the, the, the judge whom the woman comes to and bothers until he finally does something about it. And how much greater is our Father, the great judge of all the earth, wanting to give. Don't give the Lord rest until this vision, this hopeful vision is fulfilled. And I believe that God has called Jews for Jesus to be watchmen on the wall. And uh, maybe when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as Christians, like the scriptures join on us, we're doing this as well. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem that Arabs and Jews there in that city can say to one another, I love you in Jesus' name. You see, and then the world gets to see the reconciling power of God in this intractable conflict that's been going on for all these centuries. And so we went to Jerusalem. <laughs> it actually was part of a, uh, a uh, how many years? 20? 18 years. Thank you, Susan. 18 years of something we call Operation Behold Your God, which was a commitment to have saturation evangelism in every city with a Jewish population of 25,000 or more. 78 cities, and Jerusalem was the 78th. We figured we needed to learn a lot <laughs> before we actually went there. And um, it was an amazing experience. It was the highlight of my ministry career. And uh, I want to tell you some of the things that happened because the hopefulness that Isaiah had so long ago Sometimes I think as Christians, we have lost that because we see the conflict. We see it in Jerusalem, we see it in the world, and we think, ah, you know, 
Jesus, come and rescue us, please. But there's, there's a hopefulness that we who know the Lord really need to nurture within our hearts. And that hopefulness is found in the gospel. So let's take a look at this video, and then I'll talk to you a little bit about what God did in May. I'm Dan Sered, and I'm the Israel Director of Jews for Jesus. We've mapped out Israel. We've noticed that there are 12 different geographic regions, and this is by far the most exciting outreach that we've employed here in Israel. We're here in Jerusalem with the University and Yeshiva team. Brought tons of cases of bottled water and hand them out. Been able to talk to a lot of people. What's happening here is an event that we've called Art Never Stops, and it's a kind of jam, painting and sculpting. It's really fun to get a group of people together and see how people really bond and build connections. We have been in the muck and mire of this little river, just cleaning out trash to just love on the people of Israel. And the salvation stories of what God has worked during this month-long campaign. Russian speakers still are the most open to the gospel. We're going to take you in and see a house we've been working on. It's a woman who's working as a prostitute and as part of our team to reach out to the homeless, drug addicted and prostitutes. We're just fixing up her home to share the love of Christ. We're reaching out to Orthodox women and we're reaching into a community that for many years and in many ways has been unreached with the gospel. What does Mashiach do then? If we all sin, we need help. Mashiach, you're praying for it, is the same how could we really impact a larger percent of the population? So we began to pray together and toss around ideas and do some design thinking. A bunch of guys teams and girls teams are competing. Never would have thought it happened this fast. Selling some of our handmade items and talk about VR and things like that. Looking for opportunities to engage the community. We're hoping to see these kinds of stories of change all across the city. For that month, and uh, pretty exciting for those of you who know Jews for Jesus and have followed our ministry. Some of the stuff that you saw going on in Jerusalem in that little video is like nothing you've ever seen before. It's really amazing. We we knew that we couldn't just go in like we've done in all the other cities with Jews for Jesus T-shirts on, handing out tracts because it would be the shortest campaign in the history of our ministry. Um, Two-thirds of the city of Jerusalem is um, religious, ultra-Orthodox. And uh, so that's the team. And we were there trying all of these different ways through design thinking to reach out to different communities in different ways to engage them with the gospel and to build a bridge. And so, for example, you saw one of the guys on the university and, uh, team uh, and that, that was an amazing outreach. Hebrew University is the largest university in Israel. It's right in Jerusalem. And uh, we were there, you know, talking about uh, the Messiah, but also handing out water. It's really hot in Jerusalem in May. And so people were very happy to receive bottles of water. You saw perhaps a picture of me there. I was talking to that guy, Michael, who is an Orthodox Jewish man. 
and he wanted to know why we were handing out water. And of course, you can talk about how our Messiah promised Mayim Chaim living water. And so we're kind of wanting you to enjoy this, but we also want you to think about the Messiah. Michael actually first came up to me uh, because I was wearing a San Francisco Giants hat. <laughs> he loves the, the Giants. And uh, so he says, I wish I had a hat like that. So I said, here, you can have mine. I, I have plenty more at home. And he said, really, you're going to give me your hat? And so we had a chance to, to talk. And uh, he gave me his name and address. Uh, and uh, we've been engaging in, uh, ever since in, in conversation. In fact, during the month of May, Michael and I met four different times to talk about the scriptures. To go, the last time was Isaiah 53. So, and we were keeping in touch. Susan and I have a couple that we met uh, in Jerusalem who were from uh, Tiburon. And uh, so we connected with them. And when we got back to San Francisco, we've been to see them once and we're going to go again. So this kind of ongoing contact, uh, not just the university, but also among the religious. Now, this was a challenge for us to reach out to the Haredi, they're called. That's the ultra-Orthodox, both the men and the women. We had to have, of course, two separate teams because the men will only speak to men and the ladies will only speak to the ladies. And yet we were able to reach into that community in a way that has never happened before. And we're still doing that, especially among the ladies Many of them are isolated at home with lots of kids. And so we offered to come and help them. Why are you doing this? Because we love you and God loves you and our rabbi loves you. <laughs> Who's your rabbi? Hmm. <laughs> you see how it unfolds? And this is, uh, you know, the most open group was uh, the Russian immigrants. And you saw a picture of, uh, of one of them uh, being baptized in that video. We had several baptisms. And the follow-up from all of this is still ongoing. We've sent extra people from our teams in Russia and Ukraine to amplify that follow-up because the majority of the openness and the majority of the people who prayed with us in Jerusalem to receive the Lord were from originally Russia and Ukraine. And there are a huge part of the population there in Jerusalem as well. You also saw a team working uh, to fix the home of a prostitute. That was called the DAF team. Drugs, alcohol, prostitution, and homelessness. One of our guys, Egal, uh, came out of uh, life on the streets. And he was part of this ministry team. They were invited to go into like a, a rehab center where people were kind of like on a halfway house kind of rebuilding their lives from heroin addiction. He walks in and one of the residents points at him and he says, I know you. We were in prison together and you were the meanest guy there. Now look at you smiling. What happened? He said, well, sit down and I'll tell you. And he got a chance to share his testimony with the whole group there. And three of them prayed to receive the Lord that day. You saw the arts outreach. You saw 
the sports outreach. All of these opportunities for us to engage Israelis demonstrated that you have to be creative. You have to show the love of God. And, and we have a, a, a ministry in Jews for Jesus that's based upon going and telling, but also come and see. We want people in the sports world and in the arts community to come and see that there's a community of Jewish people who love one another and who love the Messiah. And so the come and see, and, and then the love and serve aspect of Jews for Jesus is part of what we were doing. And you know what? As a result of all of this, you can see, uh, actually Susan Perlman led a group uh, of reaching English-speaking boomers. Uh, there's a whole community of uh, expatriates from the United States and Canada and from Australia and South Africa. And while many of them speak Hebrew, their first language is English. And so our English-speaking team was there reaching out. They did some really creative stuff. Like Susan put this, this book together. It's actually a, an adult coloring book. Uh, and it's about the names of God. And so um, you can see perhaps there, uh, some of them gathered around uh, different... Uh, we, ha we, we blew up these pages and put them on easels and then invited people to come up and, and fill, fill some of the coloring in about the names of God. And then, of course, there's a very natural way of getting into a conversation about who the Lord is. And so we had all kinds of creative ways of reaching out and uh, look at the results again. 5,000 gospel conversations, 1,700 contacts, and 58 Israelis prayed with us during the month to receive the Lord. We never knew that that kind of a thing would happen. And since then, there, as the follow-up goes on and the, all those 1,700 contacts, there have been more people who have prayed to receive the Lord. And, and, and we're, we're, as a result of this, starting the 24th branch of Jews for Jesus. We have a branch now in Jerusalem. It's about time, don't you think? <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. And uh, so as you pray for us, pray for the follow-up on the contacts, pray for this new branch in Jerusalem, and for the growing partnerships that we have with ministries in the city of Jerusalem. I'm really excited about it. When you, when you came in, this was on your chair. If you take this out, I want to uh, give you the opportunity to get involved with us. And um, that's what this card is for. And you'll notice there's a perforation. Uh, and if you would join me in this ancient Jews for Jesus ceremony, fold it a few times on the perforation there. Uh, the name of the ceremony is the tearing of the card together at the count of three. <laughs> and just to show you how much Jewish culture you've absorbed, I'm counting in Hebrew, and amazingly, you'll know when to rip. All right, here comes the count. Echad, shtaim, shalosh. All right, now, you can take me home with you, and uh, please do, uh, and use this as a prayer reminder card, okay, because prayer is the most important way for you to be involved in Jews for Jesus. We need your prayers. Jerusalem needs your prayers. Would you become a watchman on the walls with us to pray? We would love that, and I think the promise of the scripture is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What? They shall prosper that love thee. As you pray, God will... You may not have a love for Jerusalem. I want to tell you, I didn't. 
I was more afraid of Jerusalem than loving Jerusalem. But as I prayed and as I read and meditated on the scriptures, God has given me a love for this place. And I think he can do the same for you as you pray. And we want to inform you about how to pray more specifically with all that's going on there. That's what this card is for. There's a place for your name and address, email. Uh, We'd like to be in touch with you. And we'd like to send you our free monthly newsletter. You can get it snail mail, or you can get it email, or you can get it both. And, uh, but either way, we would love to be in touch with you so that you can pray for us with, with knowing what's going on. We like to keep you informed. We'll also tell you more about the Jewish roots of your Christian faith in a way that I think will really enrich your understanding of God's word. And will also help you to know how to witness to Jewish people that God brings into your life. And so that's why we want to send you that newsletter. Um, Also, let me encourage you after the service to go back to that table where Susan will be there with the free stuff and the not-so-free stuff, and you might want to pick up uh, one of her coloring books. Um, There's other books back there, of course, and uh, we even have now a brand-new calendar that's come out that begins with the Jewish New Year this next month, September, that is also based upon the names of God. So stop there. Susan can help you with that stuff. And then, of course, as As Pastor Rob said, there's going to be a love offering for the ministry of Jews for Jesus, going to help our work in Jerusalem. And uh, so if you'd like to give, you can use this card to uh, indicate your gift, and uh, we would really appreciate that. Uh, You don't have to give in the offering in order to fill out this card, and uh, we certainly appreciate your prayers and your support as well. You know, Jerusalem... It's not just a picture of the grace of God. It's a picture of the glory of God that is yet to come. You know, if you study prophecy concerning the future, you can't avoid what the scriptures say about Jerusalem. I know people are in disagreement about exactly how it's going to happen. We don't know. God didn't kind of say, first this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. We kind of put things together. But I personally believe that there's going to come a time, and I think it's very soon, when an enemy of God's people, both Jews and the church, will arise. And he will make some of the enemies that we've had in Israel, people like Yasser Arafat or others who have tried to destroy the Jewish people, Ahmadinejad, he'll make that, those guys look like, you know, friends. <laughs> uh, the Bible says that uh, to the world he looks like a great leader. But from heaven's perspective, he's like a beast coming up out of the sea. And he'll deceive the nations of the world, and gather their armies together to invade the beautiful land, as Daniel calls it. And he invades right in the middle, in the plain of Megiddo. It's a beautiful, natural, lush, fertile area. Napoleon Bonaparte marched his army through there and said, this is the greatest natural battlefield in the world. And he's right, because it is... You've heard of Armageddon. It means the hill overlooking the plain of Megiddo. And that's where the battle, the mother of all wars, begins. And it's fought down from there to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is surrounded. A lethal dagger is poised and pointed at the heart 
of the nation. And God who promised all of these good things for the future of Jerusalem. He has to come through now or the end is certainly at hand. And at this most desperate of hours, Israel cries out to God for a deliverer. And that is when he comes. The Bible says you hear it and then you see it. The Lord himself shall descend with a shout. What does the shout of the creator of the universe sound like? In my imagination, it begins like a rumble that gets louder and louder and louder until all warfare ceases, all activity on the planet comes to a screeching halt. All attention is grabbed towards the skies. We see the clouds rolled back as a scroll. The brightness of a thousand noonday suns fills our vision. And there's the one we've been waiting for. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And as he descends and as his foot touches the Mount of Olives, that mountain is split from east to west. And then is fulfilled the promise of the prophet Zechariah who said, And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn as one mourns for an only son and weep bitterly as in the weeping of a firstborn. And in that day, a great fountain will be opened in Jerusalem for cleansing and for purification. And thus all Israel will be saved. Oh, hallelujah. So what we're doing now is we're sowing seed for the harvest that God says will surely come even through troubled times. Jerusalem is not only about the grace of God, it's about the glory of God. <laughs> because when we get to the end, that final chapter of the book of Revelation tells us, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, again, as a bride adorned for her husband. There's that same language, you see. That same hopefulness, that same sense of this is now more than just Jewish and Palestinian issues. This is for the whole world. Jerusalem is the, is the kingdom of God coming in all of its power and all of its glory and all of the hopefulness that the scriptures weave through. And the, the architecture is so mind-boggling. It's it's. it's it's a, a cube, a, a city four square that just has no parallel to the current one. It's an amazing reality. And the other thing about that place, God says, on the gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And on the foundations are the names of the 12 apostles. One people of God, united, Israel and the church in heaven because of the grace of God and because of the glory of God. That's pretty hopeful. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we have, of all people on the planet, reason the most reason for hope because of your grace that has come and because of your glory that is coming. And when we hear about Jerusalem and we hear about the conflict in the Middle East 
Help us always to remember the hope that is in your word and that you will certainly fulfill as you have already fulfilled. And help us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and to receive the prospering that comes to our heart as we nurture a love for the things that you love, for the people that you love, and for the future hope that you have promised. May that be our testimony. Bashem Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.